Blog Talk Radio. Jets fans, this is Glenn Naughton with Jet Nation Radio, as you know, with a special edition of the show this afternoon. Not our normal time, not our normal day, but uh, as we all know, this is not a normal time of year. Plenty of draft coverage to get to, and today we are going to be joined at some point by Dan Hatman, who is, as many of you may know, a former scout former New York Jets scout, who also does some work with Inside the Pylon. And for those of you who use Inside the Pylon's resources, you're well aware of, of how good they are. And they, uh, Dan, is also, he also runs the Scouting Academy, which we'll, talk, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit because that's something that uh, I, I think it's a useful resource. It's an academy that Dan runs to allow fans, coaches, at any and all levels, to get an opportunity to learn the game a little bit better and see it through the eyes of a scout. I know that for me personally, um, I, I can only speak on the Scouting Academy based on what I've heard heard about it uh, third hand, but uh, I was interested in it. So I'm enrolled. I'm going to be taking the, uh, the next course, the summer course. It's 16 weeks, and uh, it's a lot of information from what, I, from what I've been told. And I've heard a lot of good things about it. Dan runs that. He's been running that for a few years now. And, again, as I said, he, he does some work with Inside the Pylon. And because of just the nature of his work, he's, uh, he digs deep on a lot of these prospects. And a lot of the people that, that attend his academy do some really good work there as well. Um, just one, new, one piece of news to uh, – to, well, actually, two, two quick things to go over real quick. Um, for those of you keeping track of uh, the, uh, the the goings on with the, uh, the s- s- some big and some small news stuff, the Jets today have apparently released Bryce Petty and Robbie Anderson, who, as we all know, got in some trouble earlier this year. Uh, there was a story yesterday. There was an arrest warrant issued because he missed his court date. Um, his lawyer did come out and say that Robbie Anderson, neither he or Robbie Anderson, were made aware of the court date. So the the arrest warrant has already been lifted. So that's gone from a big story to a non-story in, in about a span of about 18 hours. But um, as I did say, we're going to be joined by Dan Hatman, who is calling in now. Dandy, are you there? Uh, hello. Hey, Dan, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, doing Doing really good as – as I'm sure you can imagine, most Jet fans right now are feeling pretty good about things. Um, as, as we all know, coming away from uh, from the draft with Sam Darnold with the number three pick, just kind of uh, I think Jets fans have a little extra pep in their step at the moment that will last probably until he throws his first interception. 
uh, at which point it will be the end of the world and everyone should be fired. But, uh, but you know, we know how that goes. But thank you so much for calling, uh, calling in and joining us. I did, um, just before you called in, I was speaking briefly about the Scouting Academy, which, uh, which you do run, and I've, uh, I've heard some great things about it, which is why I enrolled myself this, uh, these last couple weeks, so I'll be a part of the next class. Um, for me personally, it's more about just, you know, being able to evaluate players better and, and, and provide better content for JetNation.com. Um, that's, that's what it boils down to for me. But I know that you guys do, uh, you guys get some people who get plugged into the college circuit and, uh, and, and who are seeking NFL jobs. Is that correct? Yeah, right now we have 15 of our alumni working for NFL teams and almost 50 working in the college game right now. Um, so it's been phenomenal to watch the guys take the curriculum and run with it, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it much like they did. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, it's phenomenal. It's uh, I can't imagine what it's like right now. You know, as, as, as a guy who who's, uh, you know, in his early 40s and just retired from the military, not not a feasible thing, but man, for any any young kid out there, any anyone high school, college age, or you know, just finished maybe a a college career who wants to pursue a a, a life of you know working in in football, whether it's whether it's co- collegiate or professional, what a great opportunity. Um, so you know, hopefully people take advantage of it. I'm look, I'm, I've actually I've heard of the scouting academy myself a couple of years ago, but uh, with the transitioning and the retiring and moving to England, I've just been so busy that I haven't really had the time, and I think this was the first opportunity I had where I said I actually have the time to do this now, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but but getting, getting into this, uh, this Jets draft class, as I mentioned, Sam Darnold, they, uh, they grab him in the first round with a third pick after trading up with Indianapolis. Um, and and what's, what's your take on that real quick? Because like, Jets fans seem to be a little bit all over the place with this, and I, I think we all know that if Sam Darnold pans out, nobody's going to care at the end of the day. But when you look at the way Mike McCagnan executed that trade, giving up a few second-rounders to move up a few spots, I thought it was brilliant. I thought he was in a position where he was – if he allowed himself to get leapfrogged by the Buffalo Bills or some other team and come away from, the, from that draft without a marquee quarterback, I think Mike McCagnan would have been looking at losing his job. Um, I think he did a great job being aggressive, moving up. Now, I don't think they anticipated Donald falling to them. I mean, that was, I mean, that was reported as much today. They just didn't see that coming. But uh, did you think the trade itself, uh, even without knowing how it turns out, getting a potential franchise guy without giving up a first-rounder, um, would you grade that as a good move uh, by McCagnin at this point? Well, I think you articulated it well. There's two parts of it. There was the, you know, when they made the move, so what was it, seven weeks ago or something like that, or six weeks prior to the draft or what have you, and everyone's just, you know, their eyes glossed over. Like, what do you mean? They traded up now. You're, you're starting to show your hand, like, why would you do that? And the three twos to move up the three spots is not um, is not you know much different. In fact, I think some would argue it could potentially be under um, what it might take in a quarterback-rich market, which this draft class certainly was, to move up. And then the more time I spent with it, I think you have to go into a move like that, one, knowing – what are the quarterbacks we have on our board, which obviously everybody gets to, but mainly like where's the where's the line? Where does the the tiering fall off? Like who are our guys? Do we have one? Do we have two? Do we have three? I can't imagine that there is a scenario where they make that move that early if there's one quarterback standing out by himself away from the pack. Right? If you have the one guy that you want 
in a market you don't control, because Cleveland said to everybody we're going to take a quarterback. We're not going to tell you who, but we're taking mm-hmm. one. Right. So right off the bat, the Jets don't get to pick their quarterback. They get the market at least minus one to pick from. So right. you make that move up thinking that we have to have multiple quarterbacks. Now, some logic would say that you need three that are up there by themselves, so at least walk away with your top three. I'm convinced they had the Giants pegged. I'm convinced that they, when they did their work and looked at that market and however they addressed those things, they knew what seemingly everybody is willing to come out and say they knew all along, which was the Giants were going to take Barkley. I think everybody thought it was a possibility, but people were wondering, you know, is the Gettleman connection of Brandon Bean in Buffalo going to be strong enough, what have you. I think they knew in Florham Park that the Giants were going running back. And, yes, they wouldn't get to pick their, their quarterback per se because Cleveland's going to take one off the board. But my guess is they had two quarterbacks by themselves, at the top of the board, and they knew where they were going to walk away with one of those two by the third pick. And so now we get to look back on it and say brilliant. I think it was I think arguably it was brilliant from the jump, but it, it took some you know took some reasoning that not all of us had access to from an information standpoint. But I think it's easy to look at them today and be like, kudos to you. Yeah, I think you're right. I think what, what my thought was. And I think either one is is feasible. I, I think you're right in saying that they probably did have a really good idea the Giants were going to take a, take Barkley at two, but of course there's there's always the concern of a you know with the Giants trade down on draft day, in which case you kind of you wouldn't get your top two. But I would imagine, and you you can tell me have you know having been been in those rooms before, is it is it possible that they sat down and said you know regardless of the grades, regardless of who's our one, who's our two, who's our three, could they have sat down and said are there three guys in this draft who we believe we can win with? Whereas let's say you have Darnold one and Mayfield two and Rosen three, but maybe all three of them you feel like is an upgrade and somebody you can win with. So you may not get your first guy or your second guy, but you're still getting a guy you believe you can build around. When, and let's face it, when you're sitting there with Christian Hackenberg and Josh McCown, you, you've got to make a move. You've got to do something. And um, th- that was my feeling. I thought they must believe – that if they don't get their top guys, there's still another guy they can win with. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think that the, the last part of the logic, if we're, we're making these leaps on it, is that they had three, right? If they have three, it's still a logically sound move. You know, three guys head and shoulder above the rest we know we can win with. We know we need a quarterback. We've already given up the picks to get it. Now we get to you know take ours from there. Um, and again, I think the thing that, and someone passed this along to me in conversation, it, and it really hit home. It's, you know, I've historically come from a place of you want to get your quarterback, right? You want to get your your guy, the one you believe in. Mm-hmm. Well, unless you're sitting at number one yep. in that draft class, you don't control your destiny. And again, someone just kind of, you know, it wasn't a complicated thought. It makes sense once you hear it, but it needed to be hit in my head over and over. Yep. And why would they trade up to three uh, to just take any quarterback? Well, they couldn't. You know, they couldn't go get one guy. They don't control the market. They had the sixth pick. So now they have to navigate the rest of the marketplace to put them in the position, to your point, to walk away with somebody that they believe they can win with. And I think it's pretty clear that they, you know, they have a guy that has um, you know, the package of tools that you need. Now, as everybody does, you've got to put them together and, and use them well in the NFL. And we'll see how he comes along as a professional. 
And so, so getting into that, what, what are your thoughts? We've all heard, you know, for anyone who watched the draft, you heard Mike Mayock say that, that you know, Darnold was the only true franchise guy. Troy Aikman echoed that sentiment. There were countless experts, analysts, publications that pegged him as the number one guy. You know, you see the odd, the odd publication. I think PFF said Mayfield. But I, I think by and large, I know Charlie Casserly said that he spoke with 24 former, or sorry, 24 current NFL GMs, um, many of which wouldn't be taking a quarterback or wouldn't be in position to. Um, and they, 17 of those 24, said that Darnold was the top quarterback in this draft. Um, based on your analysis, what are your thoughts on Sam Darnold as a quarterback moving forward? I think he's a phenomenal prospect. Uh, you have you have all the the standard physical outward tools that I think everybody can look at, size, arm strength, what have you. He certainly checks all the boxes, has those things at least above the threshold needed. And then the quarterback position turns into more of how they play the game mentally and how what they process and see and the decisions that they make ultimately turn into the physical piece that we all get to watch. And the young man, uh, you know, this is not a kid that's been playing quarterback um, every minute of his entire life, had a position change in high school, came along, obviously won the job from a highly rated recruit at USC. So he's, he's younger in his quarterback development curve than others in this draft class, certainly. And I really, uh, I really like the way Dan Orlovsky said it, former NFL player and, and now quarterback analyst. He went and he used the term magical sloppiness. You know, I've heard many, many, many quarterbacks <laughs> I saw explain that. to me. I saw that. I thought it was beautiful the way he did that because he, he's right. There's a, the game may be more predictive from a clean pocket, like what they do in a clean pocket may be more predictive play to play, but not every pocket's clean. And so, yes, a quarterback that can work off script when things break down, when routes don't get adjusted, when pressures don't get picked up, so forth and so on. And Darnold does show some things in those areas that are really intriguing. Um, now, again, is he a finished product ready right now to be, you know, the next guy to take over the National Football League? I don't think anybody's coming out and saying that, but the package of tools that Jeremy Bates it gets to work with, and let's not diminish Josh McCown's role in this. He's like if you had to draw mm-hmm. up what you'd want a backup quarterback to look like when you have a young prospect like this, particularly a highly drafted one, I'm not sure you could yep. do it better than Josh McCown. I mean, you, you, we could sit here and engineer this thing for years and not come up with someone who's got a better profile of what they know about the game. He is a teacher. He's a phenomenal teacher of the game when people talk to him about it. I think he's got a, he's got a future in coaching should he decide to go down that path. But now you have a guy that obviously can go out and compete in ball games. In the meantime, you know, while you're bringing this young man along, because from this moment to week one, there's not that many practices available. And that's one of the downsides yep, of new right, CBA right. is mini camps are limited in terms of what you can do and how yep. many there are. Same thing with OTAs. Training camps down from two days to one a day. Again, limitations on how many practices. I mean, I got to do a full count, but I want to say something like forty practices between now and week one. So yeah, there's not many. It's and it's you know. 
Yeah, yeah. I, sorry, I was about to say that you hear a lot of former players say that they think that that's what's that's what's hurting the game, not just in quarterback development, but like some of the basics, tackling. You know, you see old linemen coming out and they're taking a little bit longer to develop because they're coming from these 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 spread systems in college where they're not having a pass block for more than a couple seconds, and then they come to the pros and they just don't get the number of reps that they would have gotten years ago. So it's taking longer to develop these guys. So that's a really good point. So I, I assume they're going into this with, listen, if you blow the doors off, you take the job away, you can have it, but chances are we're going to let the veteran go show you what it's like to prepare, show you what it's like to work within this offense, um, obviously go compete in ball games, best of our ability, and then you know, my guess is there will be a port in time where they'll pass the torch, you know, feel like he can go in and start taking some reps and go from there. But I, I don't know why you don't have – high hopes and expectations for what that offense can look like with someone like Darnold in the fold. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And I think that, you know, you, you talked about, you touched on his ability to make plays when things break down. And I know for me personally, uh, in talking about the draft in the days and weeks leading up to it, that was why I'd, I'd kind of decided that, you know, cause the consensus that everyone just thought that Darnold was going to be gone. And that was that. Um, so I didn't even see him as a realistic option. But when it came down to Mayfield or Rosen, I thought, give me Mayfield. Because especially in today's NFL, with as big and fast as some of these linemen and, and, and pass rushers are, you got to have a guy who can make throws on the run. And Mayfield can do that, I feel, better than better than Josh Rosen. But that's neither here nor there because Darnold fell. He's a Jet. And as we discussed, there was no second-round pick because of the trade-up to get from 6-3. to three. And then the Jets, as they did with a lot of picks in this draft, this, this one's been a tough one because they went with a lot of small school guys. And as you know, there's not as much available on them as, as you get with the, the big school players. But uh, round three at 72 overall, they go with Nathan Shepard out of Fort Hayes State, an older guy who uh, had to take a couple years out of, out, of, uh, out of his college career because for financial reasons to take some jobs. So clearly he's got a love for the game. He came back, played at a high level. Um, and listen, a guy, a guy who's got some passion for the game and plays the position he plays is going to be a welcome addition um, after what the Jets had to, or what Jets fans had to put up with the last couple of years with uh, with Muhammad Wilkerson and his sort of unwillingness to to go all out uh, once he got his his big payday. But uh, but so Nathan Shepard out of Fort Hayes State, any uh, any specific thoughts on him? Was he a was he a good value pick in that spot? I think he's a phenomenal value pick. I think there was an argument they made he could have gone in round two. And I wouldn't have been surprised by that. When you look at another one had the heart condition and obviously fell to the fifth round, but that's where I put Shepard. I think he absolutely has the tools and showed it on film to be an interior disruptor, which is a phenomenal thing to be able to sit and get at pick 72 because they are very, very highly valued in the NFL right now. And I think it is because a combination of age and level of competition. But he went to the Senior Bowl. I Kudos to Phil Savage and his staff for the identification of Shepard, bring him in, put him in the mix. And he did not look out of place for a second in Mobile. So I, I think you're stealing at 72, Dad Shepard. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that, that's, that's something a lot of people have touched on is his the way he looked at, at the senior ball, unfortunately, he, had a, he left early with a broken hand. But for the time that he was there in, in his one-on-one matchups, he looked impressive, had some good reps against some highly touted guys. So 
that is always a concern when you get these small school guys is you know can they can they hang with the the big program players and he did just that so possibly a steal there and there's actually I hope you don't mind there's one or two names I'm going to throw out just just as guys that didn't go um that didn't that the Jets didn't take one specifically um because we'll move on now to the fourth round pick where they got Miami tight end Chris Herndon and I know as happy as Jets fans are about uh, adding Sam Darnold, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of complaining, and, and rightfully so, really, um, that they didn't get an edge rusher and they didn't address the offensive line at all. Um, and I know for me personally, um, honestly, in round three and even more so in round four, the guy that I really thought they would target was um, edge rusher, outside linebacker Josh Sweat out of Florida State. Um, they obviously didn't go with him. They ended up going with Chris Herndon out of Miami, who's a guy coming back from an injury but played well. Um, and and I, don't get me wrong, I do like the pick in the sense that, you know, I'm one of those guys that maybe it's a little bit old school, but I still – it drives me nuts when you have a tight end who can't block worth a lick. Um, it, that was one of the reasons I wasn't all that upset to see Austin's attorney Unfortunately, and well, go. Like all of them and it's one of the reasons – that's the thing. It's so rare you get a guy who can do both. And, uh, you know, for me personally, going into the draft, someone I really liked was uh, Troy Fumagalli. And I liked him as maybe a fifth or sixth rounder as a big six foot six guy who could block and catch the ball. Obviously, he wasn't the target, but they go with Chris Herndon. Looks like a, an able blocker, not a dominant guy. He's not going to, you know, he's not beating guys up at the, at the point of attack, at the line of scrimmage. But he is, he can hold his own, which is a welcome addition. You know, the only real true blocking tight end the Jets have right now is Eric Tomlinson, who has looked good in spots as a receiver. But all in all, he doesn't have the athleticism of a Herndon. So, uh, what are your thoughts on that pick, and and do you have any thoughts you'd, you'd like to share on Josh Sweat? Well, Sweat's a, definitely an intriguing player. You know, Florida State used him in some ways that you know didn't exactly highlight what Sweat brings to the table. I do understand the concern with knee issues. Pass rushers have to be explosive, right? Bad athletes at pass rusher don't make it, and this doesn't work. So there's concern at a position like that, and, and doctors obviously work this process more than scouts do. But if you come back and you think that, you know, there's a higher chance that whatever his condition is could potentially show up again, that really saps a pass rusher. You know, you you have a knee condition uh, guard or something like that, and you have some limitations come down in, in athletic ability, you can still survive. You can still play and perform and, and generally speaking, perform at a high level. If there's any issue with all of a sudden you being able to explode and use that athletic ability to pass rusher, there's no more production left. So, well, I don't have access to the medical reports. I have no idea how bad they they measured sweat. Um, I have to imagine that's where the big knock on him was because when you just watch the film and you see him actually get out on the edge and then get his hand in the dirt and rush, very intriguing player. Um, you know, I'm not sure if him being in a two-point stance, dropping curl flat, doing some of that other stuff, and I'd really just like to see the guy just rush, which isn't always available mm-hmm. um, in Todd Bowles' system. Was you know necessarily the best fit? Doesn't mean he couldn't have come in. They've worked with players with that body type before, but I got to imagine in this situation, the medical is probably the bigger thing. Because if you were just going player to player, I think the film sweat would probably be higher on most people's boards. But to come back on Herndon, uh, you know, again, this is a position where we're in a passing league 60-plus percent of the time. You know, you need guys that can be threats. 
keep defenses run pass balanced. You know, as much as I like Fumagalli's blocking, I agree with you 100%. I don't think there's any threat in the pass game that you can't take care of with existing stuff. Whereas Herndon, if you can refine his route running, there could be some things there uh, that really come along and could be some threats. So uh, from a position that isn't that deep on the rosters, one they've been trying to work on finding somebody for a few years now, uh, Herndon's a very intriguing piece for the long run. Yeah, I think that, like I said, I think I did see, I think it was also, I mentioned him earlier, Mike Mayock said uh, once they made that pick, he was, one of the, he was one of his favorite players in this draft. I know PFF had some nice things to say about him in terms of his elusiveness, his ability to make people miss. So, uh, I mean, there's definitely a lot there to work with. And, it, and as I said, it's not that I dislike the pick. I just, in that spot, and I saw Josh Sweat, even, like I said, by round three, I thought Josh Sweat would be there no longer than round two, given his, his measurables. And uh, when I saw him there in round three and four, I really wanted him to be the guy. And as I said, he wasn't. So that leads them there. And then, you know, they make some moves with the Vikings. They trade up and down a couple times. And uh, the next pick they end up with is a guy who's, who's uh, at least kind of getting the pulse of Jets fans on Twitter and on Jet Nation forums. Um, it seems like this guy, Perry Nickerson, another small school guy out of Tulane, um, he seems to be uh, the fan favorite, uh, you know, next behind Darnold as a guy who can play the slot. Uh, you know, Todd Bowles said he might play outside a little bit, which is where he played a lot in college. But I think uh, Jets fans are thrilled about the opportunity to, to get a guy who, who may eventually replace Buster Screen. You know, who doesn't get excited when you hear that a guy ran a 4-3-2? And, and, you know, in terms of his, his college production, you know, pass breakups and, you know, with 16 interceptions. So clearly got some ball skills. So smallish, probably a slot guy, small school. But Jets fans, from what I've seen thus far, are in love with this pick. Um, any thoughts on him, on Perry Nickerson? Well, in general, on the nickel, I like to try to remind people that when you go to put your fifth DB on the field, you're taking out a linebacker or a defensive tackle. Those players have a run gap, much like your slot defender has a run gap. And if you put out somebody that's small, doesn't have play strength, and won't play the run with enthusiasm, offensive coordinators are going to make that guy's life a living hell. So while I can mm-hmm. totally see the excitement in press man for Nickerson, get him up, let him be aggressive, um, let him stay in phase, let him play the ball, which is all the things he did well, you know, this is a player that is late in some reads when he's got to play with cushion. The zone and the pattern match wasn't up to par with other players. Um, you know, not a physical guy to the same degree, not a really a run support guy. So I think outside lane in a team like the Jets that prioritizes press man is going to be great. Um, I do have some reservations about, you know, what he's going to do when put in the slot unless he plays differently than he played at Tulane. Uh, just from the nature of his, you know, the physical, um, you know, physical nature of his play, particularly inside in the slot. But again, from a press-based scheme and a press-based corner, seems like a great match, particularly in the sixth round. Yeah, and I think that's that's a good point. In in that, I th- I think as as down as Jets fans often are on Buster Screen, who definitely has had a, a lot of ups and downs. He's a he's a especially for his size. Buster Screen is a really physical guy not afraid to stick his face in the fan and make a stop on a run play. So that is, that's been the one knock I've heard on Nickerson. Again, with small school guys, it's tough to get a lot of uh, – and, and, and as, as I'm sure you know, you know, and as you know with the Scouting Academy, you know, you, you, 
you recommend that people who are going to attend, they get the, uh, the all 22 because that's going to be the best way to evaluate players. You know, trying to watch YouTube is, is it's, it's a whole different animal. You know, there, there are a few things you can pick out, I, I feel, from, from watching, uh, you know, when you can get a, a full game on the Internet or, you know, highlight reels. Are, it, they're fun to watch, but it's, it's, it's a couple seconds of an entire play. So it's tough to get a lot of uh, a real good feel for, for Perry Nickerson. But his explosiveness is, is kind of, I mean, it is undeniable. But uh, you're right, his physicality has been the knock and the question. So we'll, we'll see how that works out for him moving forward. Um, I know you only have a couple more minutes, so I really appreciate you joining us. Um, what we'll do here, we'll just we'll go over one last pick in, uh, in defensive lineman Foley Fadakasi, another small school guy out of UConn, but another guy that um, you know some publications were saying this guy was a fourth-round talent. Other people said fifth. Um, however you look at it, the Jets got him in the sixth. He's another guy who has some versatility, big guy over 300 pounds, um, and seems to be universally – uh, at least everywhere I've seen, viewed as a positive pick, even though, again, some folks are upset that it wasn't an O-lineman in that spot. But uh, any thoughts on him there? Well, I couldn't really compare that spot to an offensive lineman because he's going to be a better player at the one technique than any of the offensive linemen you have got that late. Uh, the interior offensive line class right. is really good early. If you had second-round picks, interior offensive line and maybe even tackle would have been addressed. This is really not a good tackle year. I um, can't fault him for not overreaching for one because that would have been bad business. But, again, you got Darnold. You have to sacrifice the offensive line. Otherwise, the second-rounders would have been used there. Probably pass rusher as well. So, you, you know, you get Darnold or you get offensive line and pass rush. Uh, really hard to walk away with both. But in terms of, right. you know, Fakasi here, again, inside one technique, um, he's going to be competing immediately with McClendon. I think he's a guy that can you can put in the rotation there, uh, take good snaps. He's, he needs some things in terms of the consistency of his pad level and how he engages. That's not always in tune. When it is, it looks good. I think they got him in a good spot uh, in the draft, you know, close to where his value is, maybe a little bit, um, you know, maybe a little bit of a extra value in terms of him slipping down. But you know, you, obviously we have Leonard Williams on the roster. Everybody likes that. Then you add a three-technique type in Shepard. You have this guy here to compete at the one, keep pressing on that group. I also like to consider the fact they trade the late pick for Harry Anderson, or Henry Anderson, I'm sorry. I was Defensive ask lineman, they're adding out of Indianapolis. That's draft pick, and that's a better draft pick than they would have got with the resources they gave up to get him. That's a, a guy that was not going to fit the scheme in Indianapolis anymore, but he's going to be a much better player. Yep. So their defensive line just got exponentially better, which is going to make a life a lot easier on Darren Lee and Williamson and Minter and that entire second level. And I do think that they've been beefing up the corner for a while. I know everybody was hoping for more. I think really the biggest thing to me and your question on the Herndon was valid, is that where did the, could you have found a pass rusher? You know, they clearly didn't feel like the board came to them on that one. But other than that, it's a really solid draft class um, to come along. And I think everybody, you know, again, Jets Nation, I would imagine, is looking at Darnold not for we're going to be competing in the AFC Championship game in 2018, but where are we going to be in 2019? Another draft away, phenomenal defensive line draft it looks like. Uh, it's shaping up to be which hopefully can put more rushers on the board and, again, add to the mix as we look at one more draft class. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they're, they're another class away from being legitimate contenders. 
you know, next year, of course, they won't have a second, but maybe use that first round. I, I think the first round next year has got to be a left tackle or an edge rusher. And, uh, and it and, seems you know, like by the name and, being and, banded about, there's a there's possibility of one or both of those being valuable, you know, in the first round next year. We'll see what uh what difference a year makes. Yeah, well, I just know as a Jets fan, I said it the other day when we did our regular show that it's gonna be it's gonna be awfully nice to head into the draft and not be ripping my hair out wondering whether or not a quarterback is gonna fall to them, um, because whether Donald is a real deal or not, we all know he's getting a couple you know two three years before they make that determination. So next year it's gonna be about an edge guy or a, or, a, or a tackle unless there's a, an insane talent at another position. But um, but either way, uh, Dan, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. Um, a little bit of a different episode here, but an opportunity I wanted to take to get somebody, you know, get a former scout, get someone in the, in the know to come in and, and offer an unbiased opinion because I know that as fans we kind of we, we want to paint the, uh, the rosy picture for every guy that gets taken, but uh, that's not the reality of it. They're, you know, in time we'll find out if these picks work out or not. But again, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Dan Hatman, uh, who also does work, as I said at the beginning, is for Inside the Pylon, and he also runs the Scouting Academy. Check them out online. Uh, check them out on Twitter. Check Dan out. And uh, and like I said, I'm looking forward to the Academy, Dan. Thanks a lot for joining us. Oh, we're excited to work with you. We'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. All right, folks, that was Dan Hatman with the Scouting Academy, former NFL scout, who uh, who was able to join us. I'm sorry we got short on time there near the end. So uh, we didn't get to cover Trenton Cannon out of Virginia State, the running back. But we talked about him the other day. You, If, if you listened in, you heard uh, Dennis Wazak on the show and saying that this guy, and, and the more, you know, I've watched a little bit more of him since then, since talking to Dennis, and he really does. The guy just really reminds you of Leon Washington, small, undersized guy, you know, he only comes in at 180, 185. But when you just talk about sheer explosiveness and playmaking ability, this is a guy who can push for a roster spot because, let's face it, you know, this 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 is a team that's in desperate need. It's been a long time. They, they, we've had some good running backs over the years, but never a guy who who you felt like every time he touched the ball he could score. And, uh, and Trenton Cannon, even being a small school guy, probably uh, at least when you look at the running backs on the roster right now, Trenton Cannon probably has the best shot to be a big playmaker, and at the very least early on, somebody who gets uh, some run on special teams. So I apologize that we didn't get to go over him with uh, with Dan. We ran a little bit longer. He said he had about 30 minutes for us. So I do apologize there, but I do hope you enjoyed the the commentary on the remainder of the draft picks and our, uh, our brief conversation about the, uh, the the trade itself, the Mike McCagden deal getting from 6 to 3. So, again, thanks to Dan Hatman, and uh, check out the Scouting Academy when you get a chance. Like I said, follow them on Twitter. Uh, join their mailing list. They send out some interesting stuff. And and who knows, maybe at some point give it a run yourself. Like I said, I'll, uh, I'll be starting up in a couple weeks, and I'll be able to get some firsthand info and, and hopefully you know improve some player evaluation skills. We do appreciate you tuning in. Hope you guys have a great night, and we will catch up with you on Tuesday. Have a great night.